This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. We find that our completeness is in Him. We find that the fullness of the Godhead is found in Him. All of that and so much more that's found in Him, in Christ. And Paul again brings our understanding and our direction to Him. And even in these few short verses, verses 3 through 14, that phrase, in Him, in Him, in Him, draws us to the centrality of this message that it's all about Jesus and to the praise and the glory of God the Father. Believer, imagine a rich relative gives you $1,000. You're grateful, but that relative has billions of dollars. If you were given a gift according to that huge amount, you would have received much more. What the Lord has done for us as believers, redeeming us from eternal death, is according to His riches. And His riches are limitless. What we are afforded through His grace and mercy is boundless. Even though we don't deserve it, He continuously pours out His love to those who love Him. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, for part one of our message entitled, Chosen for His Good Pleasure. As we are moving in this section of Scripture, as I've been telling you in the study of Ephesians, it's very necessary for us to maintain the, the continuity and the context of what Paul is speaking to us, in order to be able to interpret completely and, uh, I believe, clearly and correctly what he's speaking to us. And so, though we've moved on, and we're actually now in verses 7 through 10, I want to back up and once again read to you, so we bring it into the context, from verse 3 down to 14, so you can follow along with me in your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. What a great word that is. Tell you what, right there is, is so much of the gospel message, just in those few verses, that uh, 
We are going to be here for a while. I just want to clarify that for you. But I want to take you this morning to the story of young Sarah. Sarah had been involved in a tragic accident, and in the midst of that accident, there was a, a need for a transfusion. Because of the peculiarity of her blood type and because of the press of the situation, she needed the transfusion very quickly, and her blood type was hard to find, and turns out the, the quickest and the closest match to her was her younger brother, Bobby. And as the doctor went to young Bobby and began to explain the situation of the, the desperateness of Sarah's situation and the need for a blood transfusion, the doctor, the surgeon, asked young Bobby if he would be willing for Sarah to use his blood for this transfusion. And after a long moment and a pause of thinking, the very serious look on his face, this young boy says, yes, yes, I can do that. Well, as they wheeled Bobby into the operating room on the gurney, and uh, he was there, and they were getting ready to begin the blood transfusion, one of the nurses happened to notice on Bobby's face tears coming down, and the nurse bent over and said, Bobby, don't worry, this, this isn't going to hurt a bit. He says, oh, I know it won't. And after a pause, he says, but when will I die? Because Bobby thought that it was his blood, all of his blood, that was going to be needed to save his sister's life. And he was willing to make that sacrifice. Well, they only needed a pint of Bobby's blood to save his sister. But you know what? You and I have someone who gave all of his blood for our life. And he did it willingly, purposefully, and by the plan and direction of his father. Paul speaks to us here in verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Paul continues this affirmation of the fact that it's in him. It's the work of God that's been done through the Beloved, which we read in verse 6. We were accepted in the Beloved, and it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin in Christ. It's interesting that throughout Paul's writings, he uses this short little phrase, in Him, time and time again. And it directs our understanding, first of all, of where our life and our very existence is found. It's found in Him. He says our, our hope is found in Him. A uh, little here in Ephesians, what we just read, our redemption is found in Him. We find in 2 Corinthians, our righteousness is found in Him. We find also here in Ephesians that our adoption into the family of God is found in Him. We find that our inheritance is in Him. We find also here in Ephesians that the sealing of the Holy Spirit in our life is in Him. We find that our completeness is in Him. We find that the fullness of the Godhead is found in Him. All of that and so much more that's found in Him, in Christ. And Paul again brings our understanding and our direction to Him. And even in these few short verses, verses 3 through 14, that phrase, in Him, in Him, in Him, draws us to the centrality of this message that it's all about Jesus and to the praise and the glory of God the Father. And just as God chose Christ as the agency 
for our adoption. It was according to the good pleasure of His will that He made us acceptable to Himself through Christ. Here we're going to read, or here we have read, how God makes known to us the impact of His grace even more. Once again, through the vessel of Christ, by that process of redemption. We have redemption through His blood. And even that word, redemption, is a, it's a great, it's a glorious word. It's a magnificent word. But it's a word that we don't use too much anymore. At least outside of the religious context. We, we, we don't speak too much of redemption just in normal, everyday life. Now that's not the way it's always been. I'm not that old. I can remember even as a young man, there were things called redemption centers. Anybody ever hear of a redemption center? I'm not talking about the uh, mission down the street. I'm talking where you take like the S&H green stamps, you know, you remember that? Some of you, some of you are old also. These, these redemption centers, you, you would go shopping at a grocery store and uh, in gratitude of your faithfulness to the store, they would give you these stamps, uh, gold bond stamps, uh, S&H green stamps. These guys, sometimes where you would go and get uh, gasoline, you'd go to not the gas station, but do you remember service stations? Quite a bit different, wasn't it? I guess uh, in Oregon they still pump your gas, but uh, it used to be everywhere you would go. They would pump your gas, they'd check your tires, check your water, check your oil, clean your windshields, and then still give you something on top of that for about 25 cents a gallon. How they can't do that at $4 a gallon, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> things have changed. I remember those redemption centers, you could take uh, books of these stamps, and you could go in and you could buy uh, dishes with just these books of stamps. You could sometimes buy clothes, you could buy a toaster, you know, six books of stamps, you get this cool little toaster. Our basic understanding of redemption is, is that we receive something in exchange for something of equal or, or greater value. But the word redemption that we see throughout Scripture is so much more than that. Throughout the New Testament, there's basically only two words, uh, different, uh, again, phrases and usages of those words that are translated as redemption, redeemed, bought, or purchased. And those two words are adorazo and lutron. Two Greek words that you probably forget as you walk out this morning. What I, what I don't want you to forget is the usage of those words. They're similar in meaning, but yet each one of them has a particular purpose. The first one we have is agorutsu. And it comes from a root word, agora. And that means the marketplace. And the whole idea and the understanding of Agaruzzo is that you're going to buy from the marketplace with the focus, again, on the price that's being paid. You go to the marketplace, you find something you want, and you're going to Agaruzzo. You're going to purchase that thing for the price. We find it in Scripture in several places. A couple of them I want to draw your attention to this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, for you were agaruzo, you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. John gives to us in the book of Revelation, as he's standing there in chapter 5, and he sees the angels that are glorifying, and again, the Lamb of God. And the words that they proclaim there, 
verse, in Revelation 5, verse 9, he begins, And they, speaking of the angels and the hosts of heaven, they sang a new song, saying, again, crying out to the Lamb, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have agaruzo. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've purchased us. You've bought us. But the second word that we see throughout the New Testament is this word lutron. And again, it's various uh, phrases and, and usages. This is, it is the word that's found here in verse 7 where it says, we have redemption. Well, it is the usage of that word actually in, uh, to, to bear the meaning and the idea and the thought of a ransom that's being paid with that main focus on the price that's being paid for a prisoner to get out of jail or a prisoner of war who's been ransomed. Oftentimes, particularly during those ages, as a nation would come in and they would battle against another nation and they would take the prisoners of war, they would find someone of uh, importance among the prisoners. And they would say to the other nation, well, if you will give us a ransom, we'll let this one go from you. And it is that word, it's that idea, it's that thought. We find it not only here in verse 7, we also find it down in verse 14, where again, Paul is writing, speaks of, uh, again, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption and a Usage of that root word, lutron, is there until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We also find it the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 35, uses it as he's speaking again of those in that roll call of the faithful, those who have stood in their faith against every kind of trial, every kind of testing. He says there in verse 35 that women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting the deliverance, that lutron, or the use of that root word, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Jerome, an early church father, in his commentary on Ephesians, this first chapter, he writes that the one who is yet to be redeemed is a captive. He has ceased to be free by coming under the power of the enemy, speaking in a worldly sense, when you become the captive of the enemy. But then he goes on to say, so we are captives in this world. We're bound by the yoke of slavery to the principalities and the powers, unable to release our hands from our chains. So we raise our eyes upward until the Redeemer arrives. You know, the Redeemer did come. He brought redemption through his blood, as the word says. What a price to pay. What pure, spotless, sinless Lamb of God shedding his blood for us. And the blood was necessary. It was needful for redemption. And we find in the Old Testament that God's plan had always been there. He had forecast through the ceremony of all the sacrifices of the reality that the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior would have to shed his blood. The blood of innocent animals had been spilt as an offering for their sin. And yet the Word of God tells us over and over that they could never be enough. There could never be enough animal sacrifices to be sufficient to cover not only the curse of sin on mankind, but also even the sinful actions of man. The writer of Hebrews 
speaks of this very clearly. And if you would, you can hold your place in Ephesians, flip over to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Again, he speaks of these sacrifices that they were only a shadow of what was to come. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, the writer says, For the law, and the sacrifices is part of the law, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. See, there's just no way that was going to happen. Down in verse 4, again, he reiterates, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Well, if it wasn't possible, why were they doing it? Again, there's a shadow of things to come. We read down in verse 10. He says that we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12. By this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, he sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You see, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't perfect, but the blood of Christ perfects totally. It's through the sacrifice of Christ we have this perfect, we have this complete forgiveness of sin. Not just some, not just a part, but a complete sacrifice for complete forgiveness. It's ours in Christ. And he says it's once for all. He was able to do this, again, because of the abundance of the grace of God toward us as believers. Going back to Ephesians here, Paul tells us at the end of verse 7, the beginning of verse 8, that it was according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. The work of God on our behalf was done according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Let me help you understand that a little better. Say I had a rich uncle. Mom, I don't have any rich uncles, do I? Uh, not as rich as what I'm about to say. Well, this uncle, turns out he loves me greatly, and uh, when he dies, he leaves everything to me. And it's a pretty hefty sum. Five billion dollars. Wouldn't we all love to have an uncle like that? Yeah. Well, let's just go on the story. He gave me five billion dollars. And out of my love for you guys, I want to bless you, and so I'm going to give each of you a gift. Now, my question to you is, would you rather that I give you a gift out of or from the inheritance of my riches or in accordance to my riches? In accordance to. Because I could give you a gift out of my riches and say, hey, here's ten bucks, Rob. Love you, buddy. Jim, here's a hundred dollars, man. It's just thanks. It's not that I love him more. It's just the way it is. And yet everybody would be so happy to get that out of, out of those riches. But if I gave in accordance to my riches, five billion dollars. I could give each one of you in here this morning a hundred thousand dollars. Wouldn't hardly even begin to touch what I've got. 
You see, that's the abundance of the grace that God has poured out upon us. Because it's according to His riches. Not just out of His riches, but according to His riches. That's why He goes on to see that He has lavished these things upon us. It's unmeasurable. It's beyond anything that we could ever do. It's beyond anything we have ever done. His grace is sufficient, beloved. More than sufficient. And you know, the enemy comes to us and says, you know, but what you've done, his grace isn't going to cover you. Oh yes, it will. Because it's more than sufficient. It is abundant. That's why Paul can confidently say, there in verse 8, that God has called these graces to abound toward us. You know what, sometimes the enemy comes to us and says, You've done too much. You're not going to be able to receive the fullness of forgiveness. Sometimes our own flesh comes and says, you know what, you you, you messed up again. The grace of God, it can't cover you anymore. Really? Really? The abundance of his riches, he's caused to lavish upon us. He's poured this out. The really sad thing is, is that when we as Believers look at others and say, well, I know that God can forgive my sin because my sin isn't that great. But your sin, oh, I don't know about that. Really? Can we limit the the grace of God? Can we limit the abundance of God? Can we limit the lavishness of God? If if I gave you $100,000, would you really... Really complain that much if I gave someone else a hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand? No. Would your selfishness so overwhelm you that ooh, why does he get that? That sounds a little bit like the older brother of the prodigal son in that situation, doesn't it? See the lavishness of God's grace, the abundance of God's grace, it's poured out. Every word Paul uses in the Greek there in dealing with this whole idea of abound. The word that he uses there, it really has the meaning of being super abundant. That means in quantity, and also superior in quality. As God pours out his grace upon you and I, that means it's not measured. It's full to overflowing. That means he's not stingy at all with his grace. He gives it completely. Julia Johnston, who was a hymn writer of a century ago, I believe that she understood exactly what Paul is saying in this. As she wrote that song, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace. Grace. God's Grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Another verse she writes that brings it home even more. She says, Oh marvelous, infinite, and matchless grace. Freely bestowed. Freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see the space. Will you this moment His grace receive? 
The Lord made his grace to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We understand from his word that his grace was given, not in a random, not in a cavalier way. It was purposeful, it was direct, it was according to his divine wisdom, to his insight, not because of the cleverness of, of any man, but through the wisdom of God, and he makes it available. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through God's Word. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.